This is MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennock, and I am joined once again by Torch columnists Anwar Perez and Matt Pelkey. This is our UFC 110 review show. Uh, guys, the event took place from Australia last night, uh, and for all intents and purposes, it was a highly successful show, a very entertaining show, some really good fights, uh, uh, really shocking um, main event, and just uh, a lot of good action on this show. Uh, what were your uh, overall thoughts on the event and comparative, compared to UFC 109 earlier uh, this month? Uh, how did this event come across for you? Anwar, we'll start with you. I think it went really well. Like I said uh, in the preview show, I was very pumped up about this card more than any other card that was announced for the beginning of the year. And, like, I think all three of us agree, this is where it kind of starts amping up in the, you know, the, the season where it gets, like, really busy with MMA and the bigger fights are coming out. And it was an overall great card. You could tell this, that, you know, being in Sydney, it was just, the crowd was into it. It was a very live, energetic feel. You could just definitely tr- get it transferred over from watching it in the living room. It was, it was real, all the, the fights were all entertaining. You know, even the low moments were still had the higher moments near the end. I mean, it was a very good fight, uh, fight card. And, I mean, overall, I was really impressed. I think it might, it's possibly easily the best card of the year. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, really good show. I thought a lot better than UFC 109. Um, very successful first show in Australia. They did a $2.5 million gate. That's a, a pretty big number for a place they've never been before, especially when you consider that they probably aren't going to have ticket prices jacked through the roof like they do for a Las Vegas show. So really good numbers uh, that they announced, and uh, the card really delivered. I would say pretty easily the the first two fights on the card were the worst two, and I was still entertained by both of them. Um, there wasn't any real drama in the first fight uh, with with Krokop fighting a nobody, but it was still an entertaining, you know, pride type beatdown of of an overmatched opponent. So that was fine for me. It was what it should have been. And then even you know the the Jardine Bader fight was probably the most boring fight of the night and still was just fine and then had a, a nice satisfying knockout at the end. And then the rest of the card was, was really, really good. A um, couple of, of really good fights with uh, Bisping Silva and Sadaropoulos Stevenson and then obviously the the big shocking knockout to, to close out the, the night. Um, so there, this is a, a big thumbs up for me. Um, you know, it didn't have a big enough names for this to be like a real must show as far as ramifications and things like that, but there was definitely some, some really high-quality MMA going on on this card. All right, we'll start it at the uh, beginning. Like you said, Matt, the first two fights were kind of um, the most boring part of the show, and even that, neither was really bad. Um, uh, we'll, we'll combine those two here with the Pro Cop against Anthony Parash. It, was, it wasn't terrible, but you could tell it was kind of Pro Cop either just uh, just toying with him, and uh, since he was a fellow Croatian, he wasn't. He was saying, "Hey, you took the fight on uh, two days' notice. I'm not going to destroy you in a minute here." Um, or you know, you could also take it as Sean Ennis did on the post game show last night. Um, you know, Krokop was just simply trying to find the highlight reel knockout spot and really couldn't find it in the two rounds. But he basically just fought this fight to not make any mistakes and to do exactly what he needed to do. Um, like I was saying last night, the only way that this fight was going to mean something is if Krokop lost it, plain and simple. Um, then with Keith Jardine and Ryan Bader, uh, it was a very, you know, kind of, kind of uh, okay fight for two and a half rounds, and Bader was uh, 
getting the better of the action, but the second round was was really, really close. Uh, Jardine may have snuck it. It could have been 10-10. Then the third round, um, it was Bader with a left hand uh, that was flat-footed and uh, a left hook that just connected right on the button, but it showed the power that he has. So, um, Krokop and Bader win here to open up the show. Matt, your thoughts on those opening fights? Well, like you said, there was, there was nothing to be learned from the Krokop fight unless he lost it, and that's exactly how he fought the fight. Um, it was a smart decision. If he takes a, a stupid chance and gets knocked out by Anthony Peroche, then he knows his career is basically done. Um, he can't be sold on anything other than, uh, you know, that type of show, uh, that type of matchup on a Japanese card where he's not really fighting for anything anymore other than just to make the fans cheer. Um, but if he really seriously has aspirations of trying to compete for a title in the UFC uh, again, then this was what he needed to do. Um, he didn't take any chances, but he was constantly, you know, walking him down, stalking him, throwing hard punches when he could. Uh, Krokop looked looked just fine. Um, he looked as good as he has since he, he came into the UFC. He looked like he had bulked up a little bit, which is a, a good idea if you're going to stick around in the UFC heavyweight division right about now. Um, you know, his his hands looked just fine, obviously, against a, a pretty undermatched uh, or overmatched opponent, excuse me. Um, but he did what he needed, he needed to do, and I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't still match him up with Ben Rothwell in a, in a fairly quick turnaround. Um, I, I just think that he didn't suffer much damage. Uh, ben Rothwell wasn't injured. He was sick, so I have to imagine that's not going to take too long to turn around from. And then just go ahead and give those guys the fight they're supposed to have in the first place. Then then we'll see Krokop take chances knowing that he needs to, to look spectacular against a decent opponent to really shoot himself back up there. Um, as far as Jardine and Bader, uh, Bader got the job done. Uh, I figured he would have a much easier time with Jardine on the on the ground, um, and that's my mistake. Uh, I underestimated Jardine's ground game, and it was pretty impressive. I actually thought this was the best Keith Jardine has looked in, in a couple years, basically. Um, his hands looked a little crisper than usual. His takedown defense was fantastic. Um, his his defense on the ground was very good. Bader didn't really do much damage. And then obviously that's the problem with Keith Jardine is he can he can fight that great fight for two and a half rounds, but you clip him with one big punch and his chin's gonna fail him every time. So Bader gets the job done, uh, gets to move up. Uh, I'd like to see him matched up with somebody maybe along the lines of Thiago Silva, who doesn't have a, a future opponent lined up right now. You know, somebody on the the bottom half of the UFC top ten in the light heavyweight division would be a good next step for him. I don't think he's ever going to be a world champion, but he obviously has uh, a pretty decent skill set at this point in his progression. So let's see him test it against somebody uh, another step up. And what are your thoughts here on the opening two bouts? Well, I mean, as far as the Krokop thing goes, I mean, to be fair, that at least with a group of people I were watching with it. It was very. It was one of the most anticipated fights. Even with Ben Rockwell out, we were just still kind of hoping that we we're going to see at least somewhat of a Krokop, not not shell the man that we saw like against Peter De Santos or any, you know other fights were just very left very underwhelming. So we were really glad to see him come out and did we do well? I think he did perfect considering. And like um, Matt, you said, and I think it has a little bit of everything about the whole underestimating, he didn't want to underestimate Peroche, you know, he didn't want to get in there with a situation and then out of nowhere get knocked out because that would be 
you're right. It would not. It would have knocked him out of the UFC hands down in his career. But at the same time, he also played smart. You know, he was kind of going for that, um, you know, highlight real kick or knockout. But I think he also knew he can, you know, just beat the guy up. And it looked like a mauling, really, for until the fight stopped. It was just a, uh, a beat down. Every time he, you know, approached uh, him for a uh, takedown, he broke up a sprawl. I mean, he's got one of the greatest looking sprawls ever, the king of sprawl, we call him. And he just really, I mean, he looks good. I mean, I, as far as, you know, taking an opponent two days notice, he probably can look good in that way. But I think it's when he, it's, if and when he fights Ben Rockwell next, which I hope that actually happens, I think that's going to really get to see a good test of But I was excited about the fight just to, to see that, hey, Krokop looks good. He doesn't look tired. He doesn't look, you know, he looks like a, a similar to his old self. I wouldn't say his old self, but I'd say he's kind of getting things going the way he needs to. As far as the Jardine-Bader fight, that was actually, you know, for me, it was one of the lower points of the fight uh, the night because it was a very, there was no um, emotional attachment to it for me. I like both guys. But I'm not one more for the other. But it was it was, it was was all right fight. Like uh, Matt, you mentioned, you know, Jardine gave um, Bader tons of trouble, you know, on the ground. He just couldn't, couldn't find his niche on the ground with uh, against Jardine. And then, the only thing that was exciting was that third round where, you know, Bader just came out flying. He had a flying knee. He had it in there or something, and then he just got him and knocked him out. And it was, he was out on cold on his feet on his way down. So it was a good ending. The fight wasn't that great, but overall, this is really good for Bader, you know, because one thing, I think the stigma of ultimate fighter winner is kind of wearing off, wearing thin these days. They're not just, they're not as good as you would think they are, considering they, you know, went through a whole house full of fighters and on the finale. So now that he's actually putting up quality wins, I think it's really going to help his career. So both were enjoyable in the outcomes, at least, more than anything. Next up, we got our first of two prelim fights making the broadcast as uh, Chris Lytle pulled off a uh, knee bar submission against Brian Foster. Uh, this is his first submission victory since 2007, and uh, like it was pointed out after, people forget a lot of times that Chris Lytle um, has, has been a ground fighter a lot longer than he's been uh, fighting stand-up, and um, he earned himself another uh, bonus, another fight night bonus, making it seven of his last nine appearances that he's won uh, a fight night bonus, and this time it was for submission of the night instead of the knockout of the night or a losing effort in a fight tonight. So Lytle pulls off a beautiful roll-through to that uh, knee bar and just cranks the knee really bad, and uh, Foster had his knee hyperextended there. It was a Kind of kind of a nasty looking thing, and he was he was hurting for a while after that. He's going to need some time to recover. But uh, Amar, your thoughts on on Lytle's uh, submission? It was definitely a surprise to be sure, because I mean the guy's name is Chris Lights Out Lytle. You don't you don't expect that with a name like that to invoke you know submission skill. But again, like everyone forgets, he is a ground fighter. He's in uh, Brazil. He's just a black belt, I believe. So he's obviously got some skill on the ground. And again. It was a perfect role for that. That's the kind of stuff they would teach you in, like, seminars you see or, you know, you know really thick submissions you go on YouTube and see some crazy stuff. That's really exactly what you see, just a really smooth transition roll through. Nebar, I mean, he got every inch of that leg, and, man, it, you can at least see Telfox was hurt. I mean, you know, he, you know, there's really nothing he could do. But, I mean, I really think that this is really good for Lyle. I actually see him hopefully moving up into, you know, he'll be back on the main card, I don't think, without a doubt. But more or less, I could see him, you know, depending on the opponent. I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe 
you know, either a co-main event or a headline of fight night. Just because, I mean, the guy's obviously got a lot of wins. I mean, he's, he's a quality fighter in the sense that, hey, he might not win every fight, but you know he's, he's going to go out there, he's going to try to put on a good show, and he's got the skill to back up that mentality. So a really great fight for Lytle, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to his next fight and where he ends up. Matt, your thoughts here on Lytle's performance? Yeah, really nice submission by Chris Lytle here. Uh, unexpected, I thought, if it went to the ground, Foster's uh, wrestling attack control would be enough to, to fend off those submissions, but wasn't really a, a situation I had uh, planned out in my head uh, rolling through for that knee bar. Um, I, I can't help but think this isn't really the outcome that the UFC was hoping for. I think they would have been fine with Chris Lytle winning another fight of the night bonus, but hopefully on the losing end of a fun decision brawl against Brian Foster. Uh, Foster's a a pretty decent prospect in the welterweight division. Um, he obviously has some, some submission defense to work on there, uh, but I don't really know where you go from here with Chris Lytle. He's always entertaining. He's always a game opponent. Um, but you don't want to put him with too many up and coming guys to pick out, you know, pick off every other one because he's never going to go to the top of the, the card and you don't want him, uh, killing the momentum and progression of too many young up and comers. So I don't know. Maybe match him up with the winner of the, uh, Ben Saunders, Jake Allenberger fight. Ellenberger fight coming up. Um, that would be a, a nice test for both of those guys should they come out of that fight victorious. But other than that, uh, this is kind of a, in a vacuum fight for me um, because I don't really see what kind of ramifications it'll have for the welterweight division outside of just being a nice submission on this card. Next up, we had what uh, ended up being the fight of the night. It was uh, my fight of the night as well, but uh, they both got the bonus for it. So. Uh, it's Joe Stevenson against George Sotteropoulos. Um, Sotteropoulos, obviously, from Australia, had the crowd behind him the entire time, which made for uh, an, a really, really fun atmosphere for this fight. The crowd was going nuts throughout, but the first round here was one of the best rounds of MMA action we've seen in the last few years. I mean, it was just absolutely excellent once they got it to the ground after Stevenson tried to... Uh, um, Pull a, pull a little bit of a suplex throw and wound up with Sotoropoulos on top of him. And uh, Sotoropoulos was working that top game and transitioning uh, from spot to spot, but Stevenson was uh, in it himself with a near submission and uh, a couple of nasty up kicks to Sotoropoulos. And um, this was just a, a great start to the fight. And then uh, in the second and third, Sotoropoulos came out and kind of dominated the rest of the way. Um, Stevenson you know, got a, take, a couple of takedowns and uh, the rest of the way, but didn't do anything when he was on the ground, and Sotoropoulos was much more active from his back, always looking for submissions, always looking for different things to do, um, and it was just a breakout performance for uh, for Sotoropoulos here. Uh, Matt, what were your thoughts here on, on the Aussie and, and how he performed against Joe Stevenson? But to be honest with you, I, I was watching this last night, and... Uh I have DVR on my TV, and I wasn't recording it yet. I, I waited to record uh, the replay, so I'd have it um, saved. But I was watching it, and, and I'd kind of gotten up to run around and run a couple errands, kind of to intentionally uh, build up some time that I could fast forward through the, you know, the UFC crap in between their fights on pay-per-view as they're getting ready for the next one. And I accidentally changed the channel um, about midway through the first round, I think my butt hit the remote or something like that, and 
I couldn't find the remote in time to stop it from changing the channel. So I lost all the time that I had saved up. And it just so happened to uh, take me right to them announcing George Sadaropoulos as the winner of the decision of this fight. Uh, so I was pretty upset and uh, didn't end up watching this fight until about an hour ago, right before we came on here. Um, and I got to tell you, before I saw this fight, UFC 110 was a, a reasonably solid thumbs up of an event for me. But after this, it was a very enthusiastic thumbs up. This really, this fight kind of brought the card together for me. Uh, the crowd was at their loudest uh, all throughout this fight. Uh, Jamie, I think you and I, uh, this is kind of what we were expecting from the Damian Maya, um, Dan Miller fight at UFC 109. The, yeah, very the much so. Absolute, yeah, the absolute ground clinic. I mean, that's jujitsu at its best. That's MMA at its best when guys are, you know, working every facet of their game, um, transitions, submissions, striking, wrestling. I mean, and this fight had everything you could hope for. Um, it was, Certainly the the best fight of the year for me so far, and you know obviously a very short year with just a couple of events to go by. Um, but it, I was very surprised at George Sadaropoulos, uh how well he was able to control Joe Stevenson on the ground. I really thought Stevenson's wrestling was going to be the the deciding factor in this fight, but it ended up being George Sadaropoulos's, uh a well-rounded game and b just being a level beyond. Joe Stevenson uh, in jiu-jitsu, uh, working a lot of rubber guard um, that he, he, he trains with under Eddie Bravo. Uh, it's a very uh, underused aspect of jiu-jitsu in MMA. Um, it's very good for not only submissions, but sweeps and transitions, and, and Sadarabos used that to brilliant effect throughout this fight. I think... Uh, there's no point in waiting around for George Sadarapoulos. He's not a prospect anymore. He's, he's 32 years old. He's been around for several years. He's been training uh, in, in different martial arts for, you know, 15 years or so. The guy's ready to go. He just This was his first opportunity. Why not strike while the iron is hot after this victory and, and match him up with Gray Maynard, who has not, you know, doesn't have a, a future fight scheduled right now, and say it's the the or who gets the next shot after the BJ Penn Frankie Edgar fight. There's not really any other exciting, viable challengers in the, the lightweight division. I think Sadarapos is a nightmare matchup for Gray Maynard. Um, I think he'll snatch a, a neck or a, a limb at some point in that fight. Um, so I, I just think you might as well. He's, he's 5-0 in the UFC, 6-0 with wins over Joe Stevenson and Gray Maynard. would be plenty to sell him as a title challenger. Especially if you could drag it out till they come to Melbourne again next year, um, that would be a, a huge event, I think, or a huge title fight at least. Uh, as far as Joe Stevenson, um, this is obviously a setback, but he still looked pretty good in this fight. He just was beaten by a better grappler, and there's really no no shame in that. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him matched up with with Sean Shirk in a "Why hasn't this fight happened already?" type of fight, for you know, winner gets to stay relevant, basically in the UFC lightweight division, and and the loser gets to, you know, move on and do something else. So really, really great fight here, and excited to see what George Zadaropoulos does next time out. Yeah, I'm very much in agreement with you on that. Uh, I I, I like the idea of putting him against Gray Maynard next because Edgar's in the title title spot, and they're both going to need a fight um, before um, setting up a challenger anyway. So uh, I, I think that's a great fight to put together. And uh, I, I really think that 
of all the people we've seen in the lightweight division, Sotoropoulos' top game against BJ Penn's um, ability to fight from his back, that's one of those things that I want to see happen, plain and simple. Uh, Amar, your thoughts here on this fight? You know, I, I have to agree with you, Jamie. That first round was ridiculous. That was because not many people were very, you know, no one was really into that fight. But I, you know, I kind of said, you know, this is probably going to be something ridiculous because Joe Stevenson's been doing great. Sotoropoulos has been going through people left and right. So we were all happy. I mean, it was going, you know, the submission attempts were just ridiculous. Like, I mean, and then his, his, uh, Sotoropoulos' ground game was just, where he's just transitioning, it was just kind of, you know, an awe. You're just like, man, he just, it's kind of like he, he knew five steps ahead of him, which, you know, is obviously what the point is of, of jiu-jitsu or anything like that. You want to move five steps ahead of your opponent. But, I mean, the idea of that, like, you see, actually seeing it applied in a real fight situation was just ridiculous. And it was a great, great fight overall. I mean, I had Stevenson winning it, but I didn't think, because I, I just didn't feel that Sotoropoulos had it yet. But I, I was proven wrong, you know, I'll crow on that one. I mean, he really just showed everyone that, hey, BJ Penn hasn't completed the lightweight division yet. I mean, he he needs another fight. The Great Manor won some part because Great Manor didn't do enough to, for at least for me to warrant the fight again. You know, BJ Penn next after between whoever went between Edgar and Penn. So a fight with Sauteropolis and Manor would really determine that. And I, I think Sauteropolis would steamroll. Like, I agree. Wholeheartedly, you guys. I think he was just manhandled Maynard, but overall, Sotoropoulos looked great. It's just, there's no, you, there's no better coming out of party than being in your own backyard, and I think he had the best one. Stevenson, he looked, you know, he looked decent still. It wasn't like he came in, looked sluggish or nothing, but he just had a better fighter that he had to fight. So, hopefully, Stevenson kind of stays in the mix, maybe the Sean Shirk fight, or any of you know, the kind of bigger fight. But either way, I think both fighters came out looking well. Obviously, Sotoropoulos with a W. Is definitely going to be making waves, and I think he, by the end of this year, he's going to be in his title shot. We uh, followed that one up with another really, really good fight between Vanderlei Silva and Michael Bisping. Um, this one came down to two two key sequences. This one came down to the end of the second round, the end of the third round, where Silva got Bisping into a guillotine, a really tight guillotine, with about 15 seconds left. And Bisping's hand raised like he was going to tap out, and then he realized he was almost to the buzzer, so he held on. And then in the third round, where uh, Silva knocked Bisping down and, uh, you know, pounced on him with a couple of shots late uh, before the buzzer came, and, uh, you know, another 10 seconds there, and Silva might have finished him off. Uh, before that, Bisping had a really, really good start to the fight. Um, Silva, you know, again tried to come in with a late uh, flush in the first round, but. Bisping had a really, really good uh, performance in the first round, and for most of the second round, uh, he was winning the fight. But uh, Vanderlei did enough in the stand-up to keep it pretty even. Bisping never uh, came close to, to finishing this fight. Silva did twice, and that was the main difference in this fight, and he uh, stole the second round and then uh, won the third round because of that. Uh, Anwar, what were your thoughts watching this fight? Uh, for me, this is one of the most not the most anticipated fight of the night, probably is of all the cards, because I'm a huge Van Lee Civil fan. I like Michael Bisping. You know, it's really interesting. These two guys, you know, they they work well with each other, you know, in the press, and they work well with each other in the, in the uh, cage. And it's a really good fight. You know, Van Lee looked look good. One thing I noticed that he's done a lot more lately, and I think he I think it's because of days he's realized he can't just go. He's not 
25 or 26 and go back in the, you know, go in the ring cage and just start wailing on people and you're not expecting to get hit and just feel that dominance. He's no, he knows he's an older fighter and he knows, hey, I can't get knocked out. It's going to happen. I need to just come in, play smart, play to his advantage. And that time management at the end of the last two rounds was, was smart. I mean, he, he sinked in that guillotine. I thought he was going to tap, but the buzzer hit. And then the last round, I actually thought, everyone in the room actually thought that they stopped the fight right, like maybe two, three seconds before the buzzer hit. But then, you know, obviously it was right on time, the buzzer hit. But Mandalay looked great. I think he really adapted his game to a more, I guess, Brawler with class would be my you know, example. He still throws his wild loops. He's still doing crazy, you know, doing whatever he can to get inside and hit you. But I think what he did was he was smarter about it. He was just bull rushing you and then, you know, getting caught with something. He was good. He was in the pocket. He was trying to get in. He had some good leg sweeps, you know, with uh, this thing. I mean, he just looked good. I'm really excited to see Van Lake get a win and move on up. I think uh, they talked about the Akiyama fight. That would be really good. For Bisping, it's another setback, but then if you really look at it, since his, his three losses have come against, you know, Rashad Evans, Dan Henderson, Manley Silva. That's not, there's no reason to be ashamed of that, and there's no reason to say, hey, losing to Manley Silva is a bad thing. I just think he needs, hopefully he can get, you know, up his training a little bit more, because every time Bisping comes back from the loss, he's looked a lot better since. So hopefully he can move up and kind of Get, get everything together because he does have to make him a great fighter. He just needs to get the right pieces in. I think he's almost there. But overall, a great fight. Very exciting finish, and I, I was very happy. It's a good point on Bisping and the, and the losses he does have. Is like uh, Keith Jardine said earlier in the night, if you're undefeated in the sport, it's only because you haven't fought the right guys yet. Uh, and I, I think that's a, one of the truest statements that's actually ever been said about this sport because, you know, boxing's all about the undefeated records for the top guys, but this sport is, if, if you haven't fought the right guys, you might be able to, to hold on to that undefeated record for a while. Um, but as, you know, Rashad Evans and Tiago Silva found out after 14 fights, they hadn't fought Machida yet. Um, same goes for a lot of other undefeated fighters in, in this sport. Um, and, you know, Bisping has just fought three fighters there that happened to be better than him on that night. So, uh, Matt, your thoughts here on, on Vanderlei Silva against Michael Bisping? Well, Coming into this fight, I was certainly in the camp that thought that Vanderlei Silva was done as a as an elite fighter, um, and I'm still not necessarily going to completely go back on that. But he certainly looked rejuvenated at 185. Um, he had lost a little bit of the bulk that I think was starting to slow him down in the last couple of years, as he's gotten older and his reflexes have slowed a little bit. I was really impressed with how smart and tactical of a fight that he fought here. Um, he didn't go in swinging wildly. Uh, his punches looked a little straighter than usual. Uh, still, obviously, when you get in an exchange with him, he's going to start winging wild punches. But um, when it was just, you know, let's let's come out and and get the fight started, he he didn't bull rush. He didn't get himself, and he didn't make any stupid mistakes. He didn't allow his semi-suspect chin to be put to the test at any point in this fight. Um, I, I guess I probably should have known something was a little different when he came out smiling and not doing his crazy stare-down when we got to the stare-down and, you know, touched gloves like they were friends. I don't know what Vanderlei Silva this was, but apparently it was a, a good new reincarnation of him because 
he got a really nice win here. Um, I, I still don't think he'll ever be a viable title contender at 185, but if he can back up a win over Michael Bisping with a win over Akiyama, then that certainly puts him right in the mix, um, especially with his name value that's still out there. He still carries himself like a star and is treated like a star whenever he goes overseas. Um, I don't really know what Michael Bisping was still upset about at the end of this fight when they announced the decision because Bisping basically eked out that first round and then lost twice to Vanderlei Silva in the second and third rounds. Um, that guillotine wasn't going anywhere in the second round. He was saved by the bell, and I'm sure he would admit that. It took him a while to recover afterwards. And then in the third round, he, he basically got knocked out at the end, but it was so close to the end that the bell saved him. Um, that goes on another five seconds. There's really nothing stopping Vanderlei from landing a couple more big shots and putting them out cold. Uh, I don't really know where Michael Bisping goes from here. Uh, like you said, he's he's lost to really good guys, but we also have to face facts that his three best wins are, you know, Dennis King, Matt Hamill, and Chris Lieben. And even the Matt Hamill fight, most people think he lost. So he doesn't, uh, he, he's only losing to the elite guys, but he's not exactly, like, beating really good fighters either. Um, he's been at the top of the card for so long that it's going to be hard to, he, he can't go back to fighting the Jason Days and Charles McCarthy's at 185. Uh, I really only see two options for him, and, and both are him getting fed to better fighters. You could either match him up with an also on the rebound Nate Marquardt, which is a terrible matchup for, for Michael Bisping, or you could feed him to uh, Chael Sonnen if Sonnen gets himself healthy and wants to get in another tune-up fight before his eventual fight with Anderson Silva. So not a whole lot of options, I think, coming out of this fight for Michael Bisping. Uh, just the realization that while he's a good fighter, I don't think he's ever going to be an elite fighter. Before we get to the main event, I just want to touch on the last prelim that they showed with Stefan Bonner against Christoph Soshinsky. This one started off like it was going to be Soshinsky steamrolling him. I mean, he came out highly aggressive and uh, had Bonner on the ropes a couple of times in the first round, um, was tagging him pretty well, bloodied him up, and um, just just really was, was beating him up in the first round. The second round, Bonner came out a lot better, but uh, uh, Soshinsky was, again, able to land more shots and, um, and, and win the round. And then the fight ended on... Uh, and on an unfortunate note, with a headbutt causing a, a fight-ending cut that had Bonner extremely bloodied up. Um, you know, when when everyone saw it on the replay there, it was a little ridiculous that the uh, ref called it um, the, the punch that, that opened it up when everyone could see afterward. And um, he had, you know, already not done anything against Soshinsky's illegal blows. Um earlier in the fight, so uh, uh, unfortunate ending, uh, and it'll hopefully be turned over to a, a, a no contest because of the cut at some point, because um, Bonner was certainly back into the fight by that point, and despite being bloodied up, he, he still had a chance to win that fight, um, so unfortunate ending, but uh, Bonner just didn't, didn't come out of the gate well, and uh, that cost him in this one. Uh, and what are your thoughts here quick on this fight? Uh, real quick, you know, it was, it's really unfortunate that fight that happened the way it did. One thing, you know, that, like like you said, that, that cut, you know, in a way, it was really kind of shocking to see that it was, you know, a TKO, because I was surprised that it, because even his accidental headbutts, you've seen in different fights all over, be, be it UFC, Strike Force, you know, Pride Dave, 
any of that headbutt, you know, they they would they would stop the fight and say it was a DQ or no contest, you know. So I'm surprised that even after looking at it, they were like, oh, well, it's still a DQ. You know, like I'm surprised last night they didn't even turn it. But it is what it is. Like you said, Bonner came out. He looked like he was nervous coming out because I guess he wasn't expecting Shazinski to come out and just go for him. And he, he looked like, uh, wait, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, he had that kind of, kind of a gear and headlights look. But once he got his stuff together, I mean, he was back in that fight. And he was, you know, taking the punches and giving them right back. But overall, I don't think this does anything for either fighter, good or bad. I think it kind of just puts them, keeps them in the same place. You know, it's, even if it stays as a win, it's still not exactly a win. In my view, and I'm sure most people view, it's not going to look like he, you know, beat the crap out of Bonner and it just because it happened to be a cut of circumstance. No, he, you know, the accidental headbutt. So overall, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, did a rematch or, you know, some time down the line or maybe they even, um, you know, nothing really bad happens in either fight. I just, it was a good fight. It was really primed to be like a really good last round, but then just kind of, and it's like very underwhelming. So, but overall, you know, we'll see what happens next time with those guys. Matt, your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, I would be uh, fine with the idea of a rematch here. I think Kristoff was was clearly winning this fight, but it wasn't a, a beat down to where you say, well, he's obviously the better fighter. There's no point of uh, giving Stefan Bonner another chance. Especially because uh, I know we all kind of think that Stefan Bonner will have a job in the UFC no matter what. Dana White says that. Um, but but this is his 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 life and his career, and and he wants a, a chance to at least, um, you know, go out doing things his own way, uh, and to have a loss on your record because the refs. And this was really the one instance of, in this show of of what felt like kind of incompetent refing and uh, the doctor in the situation too. The the cut was obviously caused by the headbutt. It was up uh, towards the hairline, and obviously was a bad cut, bleeding a lot. But we we know that forehead cuts do that. Um, you know, you get the adrenaline pumping, and you get blood pouring out of a cut. And they look a lot worse than they are. When Bonner went over to see the doctor about it, the doctor didn't even bother to to dab the blood away from his head and actually take a look at the cut. It was like he walked up and went, "Oh, that's way too much blood. We can't have him keep fighting." I, I don't understand how he could just look at Stefan Bonner without wiping any blood away to, to really examine the cut and say he's done. But then Anthony Peroche with a cut in a much worse place was given every opportunity to keep fighting. Maybe because he was the Australian and Stefan Bonner was just an American over there. So I, I don't really know what was going on. Um, or maybe it was uh, Peroche had Herb Dean in, uh, in his fight. <laughs> well, that's true. But the only thing the ref did wrong here was not... Uh, announced it as, as a no contest like it should have been. Um, you know, headbutts obviously aren't a way to, to end the fight, and that's clearly how it happened. You could look up on, on the replay and see it. So, uh, Stefan Bonner obviously didn't even know until the decision was announced because right afterwards he, he like pulled away and said he headbutted me. Uh, Christoph knew it too. Uh, I, I hope this one gets overturned, but I don't really know the process of what that would be. Um, it's not like the Nevada State Athletic Commission is the governing body for this. I, I don't know if the UFC will have the power to overturn their own decision or, or if it's something with the Australian Athletic Commission who is presiding over these fights. Um, that'll be interesting to pay attention to, but I, I hope Stephen Bonner gets a, another shot at Christoph just so they can continue what was actually, uh, you know, other, other than being sloppy, was a pretty entertaining uh, slugfest. 
now on to the main event where uh, yours truly needs to eat just a, a heaping helping of crow today uh, after questioning the power of Cain Velasquez heading into this fight. Because um, I wasn't the only one, but he proved us all wrong. Uh, he absolutely has the power to, to put people away, and he did it against a guy that's only been stopped once in his entire career, his entire legendary career. Um, and he did it in much more impressive fashion than even Frank Mir did. Um, and it, this wasn't a fluke victory. This wasn't um, any illness or injury-related performance by Noguera. Velasquez was just quicker to the punch throughout the entire fight and picked him apart before finally landing the knockout blow, uh, or the knockdown blow, and, and finishing with five more shots on the ground. I mean, two minutes and 20 seconds. This was by far Cain Velasquez's best performance um, and it came in the biggest fight of his career to date. Um, I mean, it, there's not enough good things you can say about Cain Velasquez right now. And you can almost make an argument that he should just leapfrog whoever wins the Shane Carwin-Frank Mir fight after that. Because I want to see what him and Lesnar can do against each other. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on the main event? Well, uh, despite a, an outstanding 4-4 four four mark that I put up in our prediction contest picks, uh, I was actually dead on about two things. Uh, one, that C.B. Dalloway would win a decision over a rusty Goran Relich and that Cain Velasquez would have his coming out party. Um, I assumed that he was going to have to use his wrestling and ground and pound to win this one. I, I predict he would win it by stoppage, um, but it never even got that far. I thought things would be fairly even on the feet, and they weren't. Um, Cain Velasquez was a, a step faster in every exchange um, getting off first every single time, and then really just laying out Noguera. And I, I think he was basically out after that first shot that dropped him and then just pummeled him with, with four or five big, big shots uh, to really put an exclamation point on it for him. Um, uh, like I said, Cain Velasquez gets noticeably better every time out, even if it's only three or four months in between each fight. Uh, he's just like John Jones in, in how fast he progresses from fight to fight. We just see him as being farther along in the progression, so we're not as impressed, but I think I think this performance last night uh, really put his stamp on, on uh, the MMA game right now. He's a force to be reckoned with. Um, I also would love to see him against Lesnar. I honestly, before even the fight with Noguera, thought that he, uh, if anybody, has the game to beat Brock Lesnar. If he can stuff Brock's takedowns, I think he can, I think he can hurt Brock on the feet pretty bad, and I think he'd be able to dodge uh, Brock's big power shots that he would throw. So I think if he can stuff Brock's takedowns, that's a nightmare of a matchup for Brock Lesnar. Uh, and we'll see that play out at some point. Uh, I would almost rather see Brock Lesnar build his, himself back up with a, a win over the mere Carwin winner um, and really build up to the the King Velasquez title fight because I think that could be a huge, huge fight if the UFC uh, throws proper momentum behind it, and I think they would, so. Really amazing performance by Cain Velasquez here, uh, showing that his hands are a force to be reckoned with, and maybe he doesn't have uh, pillows attached to him like everybody thought. And what are your thoughts here on Velasquez's uh, main event performance? Well, Jamie, I'm with you on the uh, whole eating crow thing, because, I mean, I picked, you know, Gary to really just kind of pick apart Velasquez and then think Velasquez was, so was going to be able to take him down, was really going to do all this, I didn't think he was going to be able to finish up. Well, obviously, I was clearly wrong. And Velasquez just looked ridiculously sick. I mean, every he was pinpoint accurate. 
and he didn't waste any shots. He didn't even you know, try to do a takedown. He felt confident in the stand-up game, and he 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 took whatever. You Noguera know, had a, gave him a little bit, but not enough, nothing really. Even make Velasquez feel like okay, well maybe I need to take a step back. I mean Velasquez kept pushing and pushing, and finally it was just like a rabid pit bull and just took him out. And you know it, it definitely is a, a very big you know coming out party. And I almost agree with Jamie. I could see him easily leapfrogging the mere Carwin winner, um, either whoever wins that to probably Lesnar first, because if you really look at it. Um, Velasquez's win over, over, um, Noguera is better than either Mir or Carlin's last win. Carlin's last win, I believe, was against Guerrero Gonzaga. A good fighter, but obviously, you know, not Noguera. Mir's last win was Congo. So, uh, the fighter that came Velasquez himself by. So, I think, you know, you could easily argue that Velasquez could leave Carlin, and I, I would have a problem with it. I think he's, he looks ready. He looks like he's like, I want that belt. And I think he's kind of tired of the whole, it's either Frank Muir or King Carlin, and he wants to put himself in there. And I think he did a damn good job by putting himself over those guys. I mean, as much as I personally as a fan would like to see Frank Muir, Brock Lesnar 3, or, you know, King Carlin, Brock Lesnar, you know, just two big dudes, Velasquez versus Lesnar just seems so intriguing. It's just so, you want him to sit there. I just, we want to see the experiment work out. And it, I think it's, I think it's going to happen. I think, I think Velasquez, is going to be, in the end, when time comes, the way he's improving, the way everything is going, I think he'll, at the end of the day, be the one left standing, and or he'll be the, he'll be the, I mean, you know, not to get a comic book right, but the nemesis of Brock Lesnar in the end. I mean, he just looked ridiculously good last night. So I'm, I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised, and I can't wait to see what else he's got for us. You know, I still think there are a lot of things that uh, Brock Lesnar presents that are dangerous to Cain Velasquez as well. Uh, I, I, I think that's a fight that, Right now, um, I, I don't know that Velasquez wins it if they fight this year. Uh, a couple years down the line, it would be very, very interesting to see how the two of them have progressed um, if they're still, you know, going strong side by side in this. Because I think, um, you know, Matt, you were you were dead on. He, he Velasquez is getting better fight by fight. He's improving drastically. But so is Brock Lesnar. And the thing that Brock Lesnar has is, is he does have the size advantage, and his wrestling is explosive. I think he'd be able to complete those takedowns on Cain Velasquez, and I think that might be the difference. But like you said, it might come down to that, whether Velasquez is able to stuff those, and it's going to come down to if Lesnar's stand-up has improved, because as we've seen, Velasquez is surely has. Um, you know, we had this discussion last night, but what do you guys, where, where do you guys think Noguera goes from here? Because uh, after getting derailed in another uh, fight that would have put him into a title, likely into a title shot, um, and and seeing the mileage he's had and the fact that he has really, really slowed down, um, because that was clear in this fight, um, what what do you see happening next for uh, Minotaro? Matt, your thoughts? Um, I think obviously if Shane Carwin is able to get past Frank Mir, there's a, a ready-made rematch there. Um, I don't think Noguera will uh, will ever fight for a title again in the UFC, uh, but that's okay. You don't. Not everybody is is in the title picture. Usually, only you know three or four guys at a time are. Um, he's still a huge name, a uh, great ambassador for the sport. So, I, I think he has. 
probably two or three more years of fighting in him before he goes on to probably just coaching full-time. Um, but as far as potential matchups, Frank Mir makes the most sense if he loses. Uh, I would certainly not mind watching him fight uh, Shane Carwin um, if he loses that fight, although I think it's fair to say now if, if Shane Carwin is able to land one of those big shots, that's probably going to be uh, all she wrote for Nogueira in that fight. Um, maybe a fight with Gabriel Gonzaga if Junior Dos Santos gets past him. Um, there's still plenty of fights left for him, uh, but I think this was certainly the end of an era as far as him being an elite title challenger in the heavyweight division. And more thoughts on uh, Nogueira's future? You know, he's only you can only you can tell just the, the the beatings he's endured over the years from just many of the wars he's fought over in Pride, all these things, and He's a fighter where it's now coming to him. At the same time, I wouldn't say he's over the hill just yet, you know, but he, that's right. I don't see him fighting for a title anytime soon, but he doesn't have to. He's, he's done, he's been the interim champ and he's won the pride belt. I mean, he's done so much for the belt. Like, to me, I, I wouldn't be, I don't know if he would even be hungry enough. I mean, everyone has that competitive spirit, but there's always going to be someone out there hungrier, and I don't know if he, even at his hungriest now, I don't know if that would be some, you know, if he would really, be able to get to that level again. But as far as future opponents, I mean, there's, you know, Gabriel Gonzaga would be good if the Santos got past him. Carl, winner of Carl Ramirez, obviously the, the Frank Mir rematch would be something you could definitely build upon. You know, I mean, even, and again, this is more of a, the UFC will throw these fights out there every now and then. I mean, they're doing it with Tito and Chuck, uh, three. Then maybe they could throw in like a, you know, Pro Cop Noguera, you know. I mean, they're two bad war horses that just, they've got a little bit left in the tank, and, you know, you know, you'd have to see them one, you know, go at it one last time in a big battle. So, you know, I wish the best for Nogueira. I think he's one of the best fighters of all time. Not only is he a great fighter, like, like Matt said, he's an ambassador. He's really good out there. You know, he's very soft-spoken. He's very respectful. He's a great teacher. Obviously, if you see how he's talking guys like, you know, with the Machitas and the, Silva's and Silva's stuff. I mean, I think I think now we're going to see the transition from fighter to trainer and ambassador. So I wish the best for Nogueira, but I'm going to say near Gonzaga or maybe Prokop down the line. All right, guys. Well, it's another event in the books, another uh, highly entertaining UFC event, and now we're getting into uh, the meat of this, you know, title season. Um, starting in March, and we've got UFC 111 coming, but before that, UFC is on versus, and then a fight night at the end of the month, so we've just got a ton of action in the month of March. We've got WEC coming up next, actually, uh, the, the first weekend in March, so um, plenty of time uh, to, to get ready for the next set of UFC events, um, but we've got some good WEC action in the interim, Strikeforce Challengers, um, and Strikeforce's return in April as well. So lots and lots of MMA action over the next few months. So thanks once again for joining me here on the Post Fight Audio, guys. Uh, we will get back into it uh, uh, heading into the WEC event and uh, all of the UFC stuff in March. But um, for all those listening, we will be uh, beginning a, a two-hour live cast on Sundays, either next weekend or the weekend after, with uh, myself and Matt Pelkey as co-hosts of the event. We will uh, of the show. We will be taking. Uh, taking calls and, and chatting on blogtalkradio.com throughout the uh, uh, entirety of the, the two-hour show, and we'll be doing that as a, as a weekly um, 
a, a weekly show, so definitely check that out. We'll uh, get more information on when we set down a date and uh, time to begin it. But we'll be talking all things MMA, taking your calls, and uh, looking forward to uh, uh, to working on that. So thanks, everyone, again for listening. Thanks to Matt Pelkey and Anwar Perez for joining me, as always. So for the two of them, this is Jamie Pennick signing off.